0: If you have your Bibles open to the book of Matthew chapter 14, Matthew chapter 14, we do welcome you to the service this morning. My prayer is that you'll be in touch with the Holy Spirit of God and he would speak into your heart and your life and we would obey him thus showing him glory and honor. For all the things that he wants to do in us and about us. Do be in prayer for camp meeting starts Wednesday night. Good time to invite your friends, your family, your neighbors, co-workers. People you like, people you don't like can come to camp meetings, right? But that starts Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So do plan on encouraging others to be with us. Look what it says in in Matthew chapter 14 beginning with verse 13. And when Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. And when the people heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion towards them. And he healed their sick. And when it was evening, the disciples came to him saying, This is a desert place and the time is now past. Send the multitudes away that we may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals. But Jesus said unto them, They need not depart, give ye them to eat. And they said, We have but five loaves and two fishes. And he said, Bring them hither to me. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass and took five loaves and two fish. He took a happy meal, guys. And he looked up to the heaven and he blessed and he broke and he gave the loaves to his disciples and to the multitudes. And they did all eat and they were filled. don't you like to eat till you're filled? I've gained three pounds this week. That ain't funny, y'all are killing me. But I've eaten till I'm filled on more than one occasion. And when you follow the Lord Jesus Christ, He wants to feed you—not only physical nourishment, He wants to feed you spiritually. And when you learn to eat spiritually, what happens when He fills you in that capacity? You've positioned yourself for God to use you in a very tremendous way. And they did all eat and were filled, and they took up the twelve. Fra- they took up the fragments, and there remained twelve baskets full. And they had eaten, were about 5,000 men besides the women and children. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word, because your word was made flesh in the very person of Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you that you allow us, God, even now to come to your table. And we pray, God, that you feed our souls, you feed our spirits, God. And you enable us, God, to have the, have the energy, to have the unction, to have the anointing that we need, Father, to, to go out and to live for your glory in this world that we live in. Thank you. We praise you. Speak to heart. Save that one closest to hell this day. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Amen. If I were to ask you the question, how many of you would like to do something great for God? Probably everybody in the room would hold up your hand and say, yeah, I would like to do something great for God. But have you ever stopped to consider what God considers great? I mean, I mean, God really is not impressed with anything that I do, you do, or anybody else does. Because when we use that term great, we're using a human understanding, a human concept of a phrase. And God's really not impressed with our greatness. Because you can open up a business journal anywhere you want to, and you can find men, women who are doing great things, and they don't even know God for the most part. You you can look at cults all across our region, all across this land, this nation, this world, and you find cults and false religions, they do great things all the time, and they don't know the person of Jesus Christ. So why is it we want to settle for doing something great when God says, I want you to do something that's impossible? Do you understand there's a difference between doing something great and doing something impossible? Something impossible is impossible. And when you start getting into the realm of the impossible, you're out of the realm of the possible. And what happens then is you're not about it, but God in you, through you, is doing what he only can do. And the Holy Ghost is walking up and down these aisles right now, looking to see if you are the one, if you're the man, if you're the woman, if you're the boy or the girl, that he can show himself strong on your behalf. Are you willing to meet the conditions of what the Word of God says, whereby he can work in your life and you not do great things for God, but you do the impossible for the glory of God, for the kingdom of God, for Almighty God himself? Because when it comes to doing the great, my friends, any old dog will do, but when it comes to doing the impossible, it's got to be through the very person of the Lord Jesus Christ in you and through you, whereby those things can take place. And I want to share with you here here today that, that there's four conditions that's got to be real in your life. If you want to venture out in faith and you want to do the impossible for God, you understand in your own walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, you've got to be clean. You can't have sin going on in your life, willful habits going on in your life, that dishonor, that disobey, that displease the very person of Jesus Christ. You've got to have a passion for Christ in your life. This can't be a part-time faith that you put on Sundays and maybe Wednesdays and maybe during the time you say your prayer over your meals. It's got to be a full passion that you have in your life for Jesus Christ. And when you come for God you've got to say, God, I'm seeking you and it's for your glory and not my own. It's not about me impressing me it's about you working in my life. So what area in your life would you like to see God do the impossible? Well maybe it's in the area of a relationship that you're in you've had maybe you've got something so messed up so jacked up that you can't even begin to explain and say this could ever be fixed and worked out like it should be and maybe it's in an area of a relationship you're saying god it would be tremendous if you would work the impossible in the area of this relationship in my life and only you know what that is but god can do that through you if you meet the conditions that god sets forth Maybe it's not in the area of a relationship. Maybe it's in the area of a task that, 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 that has been pushed upon your heart. And you don't even understand how this could going even come about. But maybe it's some specific task that, that God is burdening you. And you're saying, Lord, I'm a nobody. I can't do this. Maybe it's in the area of your finances where you say, God, I want you to do the impossible in the area of my finances. I, I heard one old boy say, yeah, but preacher, I want to be a gazillionaire. Now, how much is that? That's a lot, isn't it? I don't know how much a gazillion is, but I guarantee you this, God ain't going to do it for you to consume it on your own lust. And most of the time we want more stuff and we want more things for our own lust and not for the kingdom and not for the honor and not for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there was one man that I read about. He asked God to show him in the area of his finances what he was to do and God just blew him away. God says you're the reverse tithe. Have you ever heard of that? A reverse tithe has been and people have done this where god says i want you to give 90% and i want you to live on 10%. Any takers? But this man was sitting in church and the holy spirit started dealing his heart and started moving on him that he was to trust god in his finances and he goes home and he tells his family god has told me we are to give 90 and we're to keep 10. And they said, "We can't do that. That's impossible." He said, I'm just telling you what God said. And he started a little business out in his garage, and he was able to work to where he was giving 90% of his income through the local church, and he was living on 10. Wouldn't that be tremendous for God to do that? But just just think who God has to trust with that type of resource. In fact, he was given so much through his local church that they were funding 300 missionary families on the foreign field by how they were able to give. Why? Because one man said, God, what is it you are wanting, God? What is it you are doing in my heart? And he positioned himself in faith and said, God, I want you to do the impossible. I want you to be the one that shows forth and you're the one that gets the glory. You say, I just don't see how you can do that, preacher. Right! It's impossible! You see, if you can see how to do it, it's not impossible. It's just in your flesh how you do it. See, I've see, I, I, I bought books in the past uh, on how to grow your church. And I've bought books in the past on uh, how to grow your Sunday school. And here's what they all seem to be saying. It says, you set a goal and you can pray about it if you want to or you can just set a goal. And then after you set the goal, you decide, devise action steps. What's it going to take for you to achieve your goal? And you follow the plan, you work the plan, you do the action steps, and you arrive but your go. Is that impossible? That's your flesh. But for God to do the impossible, we've got to say God. Whatever you say, I want to position myself to obey you. And I want you to work in my life. Do you remember the man named William Carey? He was called the father of modern missions. He went to to, to some country with a B, and I can't remember the name of it. But but he went to this faraway land. and, And as he was there, he served for seven years, and he never saw a person saved. Now, what would we do? It's time to change locations, right? It's time to get into a new place, a better place, where you're going to see response, you're going to see results. But at the end of seven years, he finally saw his first convert. What did he do for seven years? He plowed the field. He broke up the ground. He translated the New Testament into three foreign languages that were utilized all for the glory of God. You see, we've got this idea that it's going to show forth this way. And God says, no, I've put you here. I seclude you here. And what you think is going to happen is not what's going to happen. But what's going to happen is going to be for my glory, my honor, my kingdom. And multitudes will come to faith in Christ because the word of God can now be given to them. So do you want to do something great? Or do you want to say, God, do the impossible. And I'm available. If you read early in this text, what you find is Jesus was there with his disciples and he's feeding the multitudes. There's 5,000 men and most people say with the women and children, there was up to 15,000 people. And he fed them with, with, with what is it, biscuits, two, two biscuits and, and five fish or five biscuits and two fish. It was a, it's a snack. It's a snack. See, see, see and he, said, he said, don't send the people away. Give them something to eat. And the disciples are looking at each other saying, I can't do this. We can't do this. We don't have anything. Oh, we got the kids lunch. I told you all I believe about us in Mexico one time and, and an orphanage. We were building a church building and an orphanage came by and, and wanted us to feed their kids lunch that day. There was 300 orphans. And we agreed to this. And, and, and we had a hundred and fifty peanut butter sandwiches. And the orphan's director said, well, you send the hundred and fifty home, which you're not going to feed. So we started handing out sandwiches. And we didn't cut them. But when the last kid got his sandwich, it emptied. God still multiplied. And the orphan director said, we've seen this before. (laughs) Woo! See, see, we don't see that in the States because we can go down here to the food bank and get something to eat. Listen to me. He took a kid's lunch and it says he blessed it and he broke it and he started to distribute it through the disciples. And when they, everyone had eaten till they were full. Ain't nothing like eating till you're full. You know there's that fine line between full and sin, don't you? And I know we all know when to stop, you know, at, at that full moment before we go into that gluttonous point. And they ate until they were They were satisfied. They didn't want anything else. They didn't want to go. They were completely satisfied where they were with what they had. Oh, that God's people would learn how to get full on the Word of God. And they'd get full and satisfied where they are. They wouldn't be looking here and there and yonder. But they would come and they would be fed the very bread of life. And they would be full. And there was 12 baskets remaining. And it all started with a happy meal. See, what was Jesus teaching the people? What was he teaching his own disciples? He said, I'm the God of the supernatural. What is supernatural with you is natural for God. Because God is the God of the supernatural. And he can take a little and he can make it a lot. And he can do what we can't even comprehend. But you've got to understand, God is the one who has to initiate. And God is the one that works. And God is the one that's in control. But you've got to yield to do what he says. And if you don't, You'll never see the impossible. You'll never experience God working in your life like He wants to work in your life and through your life. They wanted to send them away, but Jesus said no. And they all sat down in companies of 50. They distributed the food, and Jesus did what was not possible. Because if you can explain it, it was not impossible. See, we can explain a whole lot of stuff. And there comes a point we just got to say, God did it. God showed up. God showed out. I can't explain it any better because if I can explain it, then it may not have been God. It may have just been man-made flesh. So so what is it that you have to understand from this passage? First, Jesus can do what you cannot do. Isn't that a good word? Jesus has got things under control when I don't have things under control. He can do what I cannot do. He can take it and be a very talented individual. You can be a gifted individual. You can be an astute individual. You can be a hard-working individual. But you can't do the impossible because it's beyond you. And what we as church have settled for, we've settled for doing good things, even big event things, but not about impossible things. But the Spirit of God goes up and down these aisles, he's walking in between these pews looking, are you the one that I can show myself strong on your behalf? That I can do in your life what you can't even comprehend that could be done even right now. But there was a man, in this story further down as we read, who met all the conditions necessary and he did the impossible. And, And when you meet these conditions, because God is no respecter of persons, you position yourself whereby God can do impossible through you. Because, see, it's only in God that the impossible becomes possible because it's not you making it possible, it's God in you making the impossible possible. I can't say it again. Listen to me. Do you want... impossible to be working in your life. Then meet the conditions of Matthew chapter 14. Look what it says in verses 22 to 33. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and go to the before him and to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed of with waves, for the wind was contrary to them. See, see, Jesus was the one who told the disciples what to do. That's so important. Jesus is the one who wants to tell you what to do. You learn what to do by reading the Word of God and letting the Word of God become the Word of God in your life and let God speak to you through His book, through His Word. The Word became flesh. This Word is Jesus Christ, my friends, and you let Him speak to you through the Word of God. And so he will tell you how to live. He will tell you how to behave. He will tell you about your attitude. He will tell you about relationships. He will tell you about your money. He will tell you about your friends. He will tell you what to do. But you've got to listen and adjust to what God's Word says. And so with Jesus, he said, I want my disciples to get into a boat and go to another side. They get into the boat. They obey Jesus Christ. Jesus goes up into the mountain to pray. What happens to the disciples? Well, what's it say? But the ship was in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. He sent them in the middle of a storm. Do you see that? I've had so many people just wear me out sometimes saying, I don't understand, preacher, if God is in it, why I'm having so much problem. Read the book! Read chapter 14 of Matthew. When you're obeying Jesus Christ, He is trusting you to show forth His honor, His glory, to show forth faith to a lost and dying world. where it doesn't make sense, read the book because He sent His own disciples that went into the boat and when they got into the boat, into the sea, they got into a mess. Now listen, the Sea of Galilee, if you've been there, you realize it's not that big. It's about seven miles. It's a lake actually. It's seven miles across. You can see from one side to another. It's supposed to take 45 minutes to get from one side to the other. They were on this sea for nine hours. It was a bad storm. The sea was contrary. The wind was blowing. Look what it says. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the water. These guys were seasoned fishermen. They were mariners. They knew how to handle storms. They knew how to handle difficulties on the water. But in this storm, what was happening, you had wind blowing from every direction. It was coming from the north, the south, the east, the west. Here it was, and you're a mariner. They understood you're to drive your ship into the direction of the storm, but it was coming from every direction. And they'd been laboring long, and they'd been laboring hard. Why? Because they were doing what God told them to do, and they still labored. And Jesus, He comes walking on the water and is getting ready to scare the bohebes out of him. Now, I've read this wrong a lot of times when I read it because as I read it, I just almost picture Jesus just strolling up there on that water. But He's not strolling on calm water, guys. He's walking on turbulent seas. I can envision him now like there's a 10-foot wave and he's right on top of it, water walking, without any sweat, without any concern. And when it goes down, he just keeps on walking. It does not bother him, one aspect, because why? He is the Son of God. He is the living God of glory. He is Christ himself. He is the Holy One. He is the one who got the disciples there. He's the one that's coming to the disciples there. And he looks at the disciples and he said, Be not afraid. See, see, Mariners thought that he was a ghost. They thought he was a, a ghost and, and it scared them to where they squealed like little girls. Randy, you ever squealed like a little girl? <laughs> now, you ain't got to tell me now, you can tell me later. I can remember back in college, I've got this warped sense of humor that sometimes I like to scare people. Alright? And so when I was back in college, at Cumberland College back in the day when it was college and not a university... And uh, I, I went to my buddy's room and the way the housing was laid out, you had a sidewalk in front and then you go down a little door and you go into the room, but he wasn't home. And so I thought, well, daggone, he's not home. So, so I thought, well, the wind is open. I'll just go in and make myself at home. And so I got in there and I made myself at home waiting on him to show up. I thought, I'll just crawl under the bed and wait till he gets here. And so I crawl under the bed. He gets back to the room. I don't get out of that under that bed. I wait for probably ten minutes. He's walking back and forth. He's singing. He's making a fool of himself, in my opinion. And and when he gets close enough to under the bed, I reach out and I grab his ankle. And he squealed like a little girl. And he leapt, my friend, and he's a white boy. He leapt about twelve feet to the other side of the room. See, 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 this is what's going on with the disciples. They're scared to death. They think it's a phantom. They think it's a ghost. And it's a Jesus, the Son of God, saying, Do not be afraid. And they're squealing. But He speaks peace to them. The the waves are violent. and, And the storm is terrible. They've been out there for nine hours. They should have been there in 45 minutes. But Jesus shows up and He says, Get happy! Look what it says in verse 27. Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. Man, they're paralyzed with fear. After nine hours of laboring against this storm, the intensity, the rain, the wind, the lightning, the thunder, the hail possibly that was coming down upon them, they were they were terrified by the storm. But here was one man getting ready to meet the conditions and he's getting ready to do the impossible. And he can only do the impossible with Jesus Christ because you cannot do the impossible apart from the person of Jesus Christ. So Peter's going to go water walking. Do you want to get out of the boat today and walk on water? Yeah, yeah. Amen. Amen. Here's the first condition. You gotta ask. boy, well, that isn't real profound, is it? But the Bible teaches us you shall have if you ask. And you have not because you... Ask not. And, and sometimes you ask and you just want to consume it upon your own lust, gazillionaire. And therefore we don't get, but you have to be willing to ask. And so when was the last time you asked God to do something that was laughably impossible? When was the last time you asked God to do something that was beyond your wildest comprehension? Whereby you could not understand the, the, the hows of he was, how he was going to do it. When we were in, in, in West Virginia, Char and I, we left seminary. We went to West Virginia. I pastored a little church up there. I pastored that had two families basically in the church. a little storefront. I think I've told you all the story before. And, and we were there. I made $250 a week. That was all we made. And Char went back to school, got her degree. And we were serving that church for four years. And the people sold our building out from under us. They said, you can buy it if you want to, but it's $50,000. It's just a little storefront. Why would we buy it? And so God put the biggest problem we'd ever faced in our lives right then. And, and, and so we tried and we figured and we prayed, God, what do you want? And we relocated to build it. He allowed us the provision about seven acres of land. He allowed us people to pay for this. He allowed us people to, to come in and build this. But the most amazing thing was I'm sitting there on this property one day and this guy pulls up and says, he said, Mark, there's a well dug here on this property. I said, oh, wait, he said, it's 100 feet deep. He said, and we put this main road through here. He said, I dug the well, and when we finished the road work, he said, I put a timber over top of it and a 55-gallon drum, and I buried it. You just got to find it. Well, it's grown up in 20 years. We go out there, start looking, and we find this little indentation. I'm digging with a shovel, and I find this rusty ring. I thought, that's a good sign. And I'm digging a little farther, and a buddy with me, we're digging, and we we get down about four feet, and I hear something go thump. As a timber, and so my buddy Bob, he's six foot four. He holds me by my ankles, and I'm down in this hole. and I can imagine people driving by this new church building being built, and the man's got his preacher just by the legs out there. <laughs> oh, I'm no, sorry, sorry, preacher. And, and I pull up this timber, and we run a cable down it. It's a hundred feet deep. The water's so cold it'll knock your teeth out, and it's at ten feet where we were going to put our building. Isn't that amazing? In 1970, when I was a 10-year-old boy trusting Jesus as my Savior, he was having a whale buried. Whoo! That we were going to find later on down the road. See, 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 you've got to position yourself and say, God, what are you saying? God, I will obey you, but I want you to do the impossible. I'm asking you to do the impossible. I'm asking you to work in my life. And what is it you're asking God to do? But you have got to ask. And most people, they never ask. You've got to learn to ask and be specific with what you're asking Him for. Second condition, if you take notes, He never asked God to calm the storm. He never asked God to fix the conditions. Now, guys, that's important. Because a lot of my life, I've asked God to fix conditions. How about you? I've asked God to take care of, uh, uh, of this situation. And I'm not asking God for the impossible. I'm simply saying, God, fix this. Would you take care of this? Would you help me? And, and all that is doing is asking God to flatten the sea. See, 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 we're great at saying God fix the condition. We, we've got to go beyond that because, you see, on a flat sea, it's not impressive to go water walking. But in the turbulent waters of Jordan, my friend, in the turbulent waters of, of the Sea of Galilee, when the waves are high and they're crashing, the winds are blowing, when God starts moving and you step out of the boat, don't ask God just to fix the conditions. Hey, God, I want the impossible. Not for me, but I want it for your glory. But God, I want to be available. See, You say, well, well, preacher, my education's not not that good. That's just a condition. Well, preacher, you don't understand my past. That's just a condition. Well, preacher, I'm getting up in years. That's just a condition. See, you've got to ask, and you've got to say, God, I want to get my eyes off of the condition and onto you. When Peter got out of the boat, and when he got his eyes off of Jesus and back on the condition, he sunk. And that's usually when we sink. When we start looking at the problem, we start looking at the condition, we take our eyes off of Christ and we seek and it's easy to become condition-focused and we say, well, it's just not the right time. Man, you've got to get your eyes off the condition, get your eyes on Jesus. How easy is that? Mm, It ain't easy. It's a -a 24-hour-a-day job where you have to take every thought captive and bring them under the Word of Scripture. So what is the condition you're looking at? What is the condition that consumes you? And you're saying, God, I want my eyes off the condition. I want just to look at you. So so, so Peter, he, he got his eyes off of Christ and he looked back at the waves. He looked back at the condition and he began to sink. See, see God always does the impossible in spite of our conditions. You want to do the impossible? Hmm. What do you want him to do? Whose life are you wanting him to touch? Who's been hurt so bad and you're saying, God, if they could just understand things start new. There's a pastor in uh, Highland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga named David Bowler and he was preaching one Wednesday night years ago and at the end of the service there was a college girl just graduated college. Came to the altar. Her name was Marie and she came to the altar and she knelt down and was praying. Tears were in her eyes and she's about 5 foot 2 inches tall and a pretty young lady he said and she's praying at the altar and all of a sudden somebody comes over to the pastor and says, Brother Boulder she wants you to pray with her. And so she go, he goes over to her and he says, Maria how can I pray with you? What's God doing in your life? And she looks up to Pastor Boulder and she says God has called me to be a foreign missionary and to go to the foreign field and I give my life trying to reach people for Jesus Christ and Pastor Paul said man that's tremendous that's great I'll pray with you and he said any idea where God wants to send you and she said yes he wants me to go to the headhunters of Malaysia and the pastor stopped and said all the missionaries pulled out of there 10 years ago because they're eating them the oil company pulled out 4 years ago because they're eating them That's not a good condition. And she said, Pastor, I asked God to send me someplace where nobody wanted to go but needed the gospel. That's where he put on my heart. Would you please pray for me and bless me? About that time, Mom and Dad stepped up and said, Preacher, you better talk to our daughter. She's lost her mind. Did she tell you what she's getting ready to do? She can't do that. They'll kill her. They're going to eat her. You've got to talk some sense into her. That little girl looked up to that pastor. She said, everybody tells me I'm crazy. Everybody tells me this is not going to work. But you've always told me we serve a God of the impossible. Would you please just bless me? And don't tell me all the negative. Just bless me. And she got on her knees in front of that pastor. And she waited. And he stood there with a mom and dad breathing down his throat on the right and a little girl sitting there in front of him on her knees and she looked up at him with tears in her eyes and said, Pastor, I believe in the God of the impossible, don't you? And with that he reached out his hand and he prayed a blessing to the girl. The next 60 days were tough. The next 90 days were tough. Thirty days they were in process making arrangements, working. They were going to go in for sixty days, come back out and debrief. And so she went through all this training and different things for the, the, the short period of time. And, and then, then the day arrives and she came twice to the pastor's office during this time, and said, "Then pray for me, pastor. Don't tell me how bad it is. Don't tell me how stupid I am. Just tell me how great our God is. Keep your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep your eyes on the greatness of God." She got in a helicopter. There was a pilot who was 60 years old or older. There was two ladies going with her. They were going to fly out over this land where these headhunters were living. And they were going to rappel her down a 150-foot rope. And she would take two duffel bags with her. And as they were flying out there, that pilot looked at her and said, Honey, you're young enough. I'm old enough to be your granddaddy. And I'm going to tell you this. I'm coming back in 60 days, but you won't be here. Because they are going to take you. They are going to kill you. They are going to eat you. And you need to reconsider what you're doing. she said I've got to go and with that she repelled out that helicopter her and these two duffel bags into the jungle and the pilot flew off for the next 60 days the pastor said he prayed like he's never prayed before wouldn't you wouldn't that be on your mind when you wake up in the morning when you go to bed at night all throughout the day wondering what in the world's gone on in Maria's heart life if she's still alive if she's dead See, what nobody knew was for 600 years these Malaysian headhunters had heard a legend that said one day there's going to come a lady out of the sky and you're to bow down and worship her because she's God. Ah! And when Maria hit that jungle floor, she said the headhunters started coming out and they started falling down, worshiping her as God. And she finally got them together and she said, I'm not God, but I know Him. And He sent me and I'm here to tell you about His Son, Jesus Christ, who lived on this earth, who died on a cross for your sin and mine. And she started leading them to faith in Christ. And they also didn't know headhunters didn't eat women. See, 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 we always want to look at the conditions. And if you're going to see God do the impossible, we've got to get our eyes off of the condition and we've got to get our eyes on the person of Christ. And the best way to do that is to have your eyes completely consumed with the Word of God. Number three. The third condition, you'll never do the impossible as long as you've got a plan B. Do you all know what a plan B is? That contingency plan that we've got in our hip pocket. See, my problem is I don't have a plan B. I got a plan B, C, D, and E. And the Bible calls that a double minded man. If we're double minded, we're not fit. And so God says, if you want me to do the impossible in your situation, in your life, in this place, he said, you can't have a plan B. If you're going to go water walking, if you're going to get out of the boat and walk on the water to me, you can't have a plan B. And so many times we say, Lord, I want to get out of the boat, but just let me hang on to it and you come a little closer and I'll get over here and I'll reach out about that time to get that don't work. And Simon Peter, he looked at those guys in the boat and he said, I'm going water walking. He threw his leg over the side. He let go of the boat and he walked on water to the Messiah, to the Savior, to Jesus Christ himself. He didn't have a plan B. What's your plan B? If this don't work out, I can always... Man, we're so taught to have a plan B, but but God is looking for somebody who doesn't have plan B, but will step out in faith and step out and trust me. And when God gives you, burns in your heart a personal word, you will either obey Him or you will live in disobedience the rest of your life. Fourth condition. you got to ask, you got to get your eyes off of your conditions. You've got to drop your contingency plan. Look at what it says in verse 28 and 29. And Peter answered and said, Lord, if it be thou bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. you got to Get out of the boat now y'all got a new preacher he's gonna fix everything no I'm not see you got to get out of your comfort zone and it can't be about my little this or my little that and we've always done this and we've always done that see most people they don't want to get out of the boat they just want a better seat right and you'll never see God do the impossible if that's all you want if you want man I'm trying to be nice if you want me to stroke you over here and just change seats it ain't going to happen if you want and if we as Great Baptist Church want to see God do the impossible you gotta get out of the boat and you gotta keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and it's not enough just to rearrange seating because most folks just want a different seat they don't want out of the boat what do you want do you want God to do the impossible in your life through your life in this church, through this church or do you just want a better seat listen That helicopter pilot looked at Maria with tears in his eyes. He said, in 60 days, I'm coming back, but you won't be here. You're not coming back, he said. And here's what she said before she jumped. I don't have to come back. I just got to go. Mm. Father, i come before you this morning, and I pray, holy God, that you stir in us, you expose us, you open our hearts right now, Father, where we see what we have in God. Are we just condition-focused or are we focused on Christ? Father, I pray that you will teach us, God, what it means to ask and to ask in faith. I pray, God, that you teach us and enable us, God, not to ask us, ask you to fix the condition, God, but to trust you with what your fresh word says. I pray, God, you enable us to understand it's not about getting a better seat. It's about getting onto the water when the storms are raging and the winds blowing. Help us to keep our eyes focused to you, to water walk. Why? So a lost world can be impressed with us? No! So they can see Jesus, God. God, I know there's needs in this church. I know there's hurts. I know, God, there's hang-ups. There's issues. They're in every church, God. Show us, God, specifically what you're asking for me. Show me how I'm to let go and get out of the boat and trust you. Father, if there's one here that's lost... And you've weighed in by your Holy Spirit in their heart, and you've removed blinders, that they understand if they're to die today they will go to a devil's hell. God, I pray that you just continue to pull them, draw them by your Holy Spirit, that they would come to this altar and we can show them with a Bible how they can be saved. Father, stir us. Let us obey you. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, praise him going to sing as you pray.